0: So the first thing I want to do is normalize that all relationships have mismatched sex drives. It's just impossible to find a partner who wants sex at the exact same time, in the exact same way, every single time that
1: you do. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we
2: all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. I couldn't be more excited to have my friend, sex and relationship therapist, Vanessa. Marin on the podcast today. I met Vanessa and her husband, Xander, through a mastermind that all three of us are currently in, and I've loved getting to know them. I knew she would be the perfect person to bring on to talk about sex. I put a little something in my Instagram story about Drew and I getting in some naptime sex in over the weekend, and I couldn't believe how many people replied, thanked me for my honesty, and then asked follow-up questions. I know I'm not an expert in this area, but I also knew that I knew one. So I'm excited to fuse together personal experience, Vanessa's professional experience, and most importantly, your questions. This is going to be a grown folks conversation, so if you have little ears in the room, we're just warning you ahead of time, but we are really here to take the taboo out of it. So Vanessa, could you first introduce yourself for our audience and tell us how you ended up becoming a sex therapist?
0: All right. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and get this chance to talk to you guys. So my name is Vanessa and I am a licensed sex and relationship therapist and I help people take their relationships and their sex lives from ordinary to extraordinary. So whenever I'm introducing myself and telling people what I do, I like to actually ask some questions, um, which include, where did you learn how to have an amazing relationship? Where did you learn how to communicate, how to compromise, how to resolve issues? Where did you learn how to be confident in the bedroom, how to know what you want and how to ask for it, and how to be in tune with yourself and present in the moment? And so at this point, you're probably thinking, Vanessa, what the heck are you talking about? It's not like there is a school for this or anything like that. And my answer is exactly, and that is the problem. Um, Our relationships are so important, and they affect so many other areas of our lives, but we don't ever have the opportunity to learn how to do this stuff. And so that's really what my whole business is about, was recognizing that we are never given these resources that are so important, so crucial to have. And I really wanted to be able to provide other couples with those actionable, practical tools to create truly
1: extraordinary relationships. And you said it exactly right, that this is just a subject that really isn't talked about much. And one reason that Amy and I started this podcast in the first place was to really get these types of conversations going. So do you see a lack of knowledge, a lack of education, even a lack of talking about sex really is a barrier for women these days. It's such a huge
0: barrier. And that's actually what my career traces back to was my parents attempting to have the talk with me when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though I had no idea that sex therapy was a career at that point, I have a really vivid memory of that moment and just being able to pick up on how embarrassed and ashamed my parents were. And basically what they tried to do to open the conversation was ask me, you know, if you have any questions about, you know, sex, you can ask us. But it was very clear to me that what they were actually saying was, please do not ask us anything. We do not want to talk about this. (laughs) Um, And I think that, you know, yeah, even from that young age, I picked up on why is this so embarrassing to talk about? Why isn't it easier for us to just have this open conversation? Because I am curious and I do have some questions. And so that's really been one of the defining moments in my career was just recognizing, hey, this is something that we should be able to talk about Um, and I think you know as an adult I've had plenty of experiences with struggling to have those kinds of conversations with not feeling like I had the right tools and resources and so a lot of my work just comes back down to helping people communicate opening up these kinds of conversations because they're so so important.
2: I can all loop back to communication. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: as I was telling both of you, I was absolutely floored by how many questions came in for Vanessa. So I definitely think this is an underserved topic, and that's why we're so excited to have you on today. So I'm going to jump right into the listener questions and bring this subject to light. I have to say, Vanessa, the most asked about question was regarding mismatched sex drives. The question sounded like, what do I do if my partner has a much higher sex drive than me? We received hundreds of these. How do I deal with not being in the mood? What if your sex drive isn't as high as your partner's? How would you answer these questions?
0: So the first thing I want to do is normalize that all relationships have mismatched sex drives. It's just impossible to find a partner who wants sex at the exact same time in the exact same way every single time that you do. So I think that's really important because a lot of couples get really freaked out thinking, oh my gosh We're so mismatched. Maybe we're incompatible But the reality is that every couple has to deal with this So that's another big theme that we're probably going to be talking about a lot today Just this idea that we're all normal It's all okay because we have such a tendency to feel like we're the only ones struggling with this so when it comes to desire in particular I think that there are a lot of women out there who think of themselves as being low desire when the truth is that they actually just don't know how their desire works. So there are two types of desire. Most people don't realize this. There's spontaneous desire and responsive desire. So spontaneous desire is how we all think desire is supposed to work. It's this, you know, we're kind of going about your day and all of a sudden the idea of sex pops into your head. It sounds good. You want to go have sex. Um, then there's this other kind of desire called responsive desire. So with spontaneous desire, what happens first is that you get mentally interested in sex and then you're, you go, you find your partner, you might start doing it. And then your body kind of catches up and your body gets interested in doing sex with responsive desire. It's the reverse. So your body needs to be physiologically turned on, aroused, already feeling good in order for you to mentally desire sex. So this is, um, for women, many more women are responsive desire than spontaneous desire. And so they think of themselves as not having very much desire, even no desire, when the reality is they're just approaching it in the wrong way. They're waiting to have that mental idea, hey, sex sounds good, I want to do it, when in actuality, what they need to do is get their bodies going, and then that's when they'll feel their desire.
2: Oh, Already so good. And I (laughs) am with you. That made complete sense to me. I also wanted to add that more than a few questions fell the other way. Women said, how do I make this work when my husband has a lower sex drive than I do? A lot of male partners seem to, or are perceived to, struggle with sex drive? Would you answer that question the same way?
0: I'm really glad that people ask this question as well because this is a situation where we just do not talk about it very often. We have these stereotypes that men want sex wherever, whenever, whatever, and that women are the ones who are you know much lower desire, much harder to get going. When the reality is, in my practice, I see just as many situation you know couples where it's one way or the other, where you know just as many where the man is the one that has the lower sex drive than the woman, and this can be really challenging because, like I've already mentioned. You know, we all feel like whenever we have some sort of sexual challenge, we're the only one going through it. And so I hear from so many couples where, you know, the man feels so embarrassed. He feels emasculated. The woman feels like she's really unfeminine um, because he's the one with lower desire. So it's just so important for people to recognize it's just as common for the man to have lower desire as for the woman to have lower desire. So, you know, when it comes to desire discrepancies... What we really need to do is to try to figure out what we each need as individuals to get our sex drives revved up and kicking into gear, and then to work together as a team to create the context and the environments for that to happen. So a lot of people just expect that sex, you know, it should just happen, um, that, you know, it should just be spontaneous and magical and and everything just happens and falls right into place. Um, But the reality is that great sex requires great effort. And desire is something that we have to actively work on. So if we can approach it from that sort of perspective, like getting curious about, hey, what is it that gets you going? What is it that gets you going? How do we work together to set those kinds of contexts up so we can both have fun and feel the desire to connect with each other?
1: And that's so interesting, Vanessa. I've never heard it really said that way, but that makes complete sense. So let's go into, just to kind of round out this part of the conversation, when it starts to affect a relationship. One of our listeners asked, my low sex drive frustrates my husband and he handles it the best he can, but it's putting a strain on our marriage. So I feel this can get really muddy, where the lack of sex might impact the relationship or maybe it's the relationship that's impacting the sex. Mm -hmm. Do these things go hand in hand? Is it always? Is it sometimes?
0: Yeah, these things definitely do go hand-in-hand, hand, and it's kind of like a chicken-or-the-egg type of situation, like right, which one's right. first. Um, but the really interesting thing to think about with this kind of scenario is there are two groups of people. So there are some people who need to feel connected in order to want to have sex, and there are other people who need to have sex in order to feel connected. And that can, usually in a relationship, there's one of each person (laughs) in the relationship. So it very easily can lead to these feelings of like being blocked of like, you know, no, I don't feel connected to you, so I don't want to have sex with you. Well, you know, (laughs) the, the other person's feeling the exact opposite thing. So the really important thing to recognize if you feel stuck in that kind of situation is that it's likely that in your relationship, both you and your partner want to have sex and want to experience connection. So we can fall into this trap of thinking, well, I need to feel connected first. Well, I need to have sex first. But if we can take a step back and recognize, hey, we both want both of these things, it doesn't have to be one or the other, then that can help lead to creating more of that teamwork type of approach that I was mentioning earlier, where then it feels like, okay, how do we, you know, here are the circumstances that we're dealing with as a team, how do we get creative and put these, you know, dynamics into play in a way that's going to work for?" us rather than feeling like you guys are battling against each other.
2: So if you had a couple in front of you and this was clearly their problem, do you send them home with homework or do you send them home with like an actual game plan of, of something that they can do to get on the same page? I just want to give people like tangible takeaways.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really big on giving couples exercises in my practice. I think that, you know, a lot of what I do is normalizing things, giving accurate information. But at the end of the day, like we have to be able to try new things with each other and to have new skills and new tools in our toolkit in order for there to be any actual change. So one super practical thing that your listeners can do, you know, as soon as they finish listening to this podcast is sit down by yourself and try to think about some of your favorite sexual experiences and some of your worst sexual experiences. And make a list right in front of you where you try to think about, um, I like to think about our sex drives as having um, two different modes, drive mode and reverse mode. So drive mode are the dynamics that like get you going. They get you feeling excited, interested in the mood. And then reverse mode are the things that get in the way of you feeling desire. And sometimes it actually feels like it makes you feel like actively disinterested in sex, like you're actually going in reverse, not just at a standstill. So you can look through some of your favorite experiences and your least favorite experiences for clues. So for example, maybe you realize, hey, in all of my favorite experiences, before we had sex, I actually had like 10 minutes of alone time. And I just felt like I got to decompress and relax and just kind of, you know, have a little bit of that space to myself. Um, Maybe you realize in some of my most you know, frustrating or challenging moments, it was when my partner would just like come up to me and and grab me. Um, I hear about men who initiate sex all the time by like just grabbing at their partner's boobs. (laughs) And most women tend to hate this move. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Stop doing this. Um, You know, so you want to look for clues about what are things that actively get me going that I enjoy? What are things that get in the way? And so this is just a really like practical, straightforward exercise where you can start to identify, hey, they are actually. Are dynamics that address my, you know, affect my sex
2: drive? It's not like my sex drive just exists in this magical vacuum. So interesting. Because for our women that are feeling like their sex drive is at an all time low, is the answer for them going to be individual to each of their situations? Or is there something that we can give them to coach them?
0: Yeah, you know, it definitely can be individual based on, you know, there's just so many different factors that can affect our sex drives, Um, but really starting with trying to get a sense of what are the things that get you going, what are the things that get in your way, trying to think about whether you feel like you're more of a responsive um, sex drive type or a spontaneous sex drive type. And then another big thing that I tend to um, recommend to pretty much every woman that I work with is to try to get a little more in touch with her own sexuality, um, exploring her own body, masturbating, you know, figuring out what works for her. Because a lot of us, we have this expectation that our partner should kind of be able to do everything for us and, um, you know, be able to get us wildly turned on, pleasure us exactly in the way that we need. Um, and it's kind of like the sexual version of like the night and shining white armor, you know, who just like sweeps into town and whisks you off your feet and, and rescues you and um, that type of thing. But I think it's really important for us to develop an understanding of our own bodies and what we need. Um, and not to mention the fact that, you know, a lot of us women struggle with like feeling self-conscious of our bodies in the moment um, with, you know, having orgasms with a partner and not really knowing what am I supposed to tell my partner, what kind of feedback do I give? So doing that personal exploration is a super important part of the process as well.
2: Mm, all of the dots are connecting for me because this sounds like a lot of other parts of relationships. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's sex. So no one's talking about it. Yep. Um, all right, girl. Oh, I'm so glad we have you on right now. I'm going to switch gears a little bit because the other most commonly asked question was about body image. So as these couples are starting to get intimate Women report, you know, I'm struggling with my body image, and so that's a block for me. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say to a woman where she's really feeling like her body image or insecurity is the block?
0: Oh, yes, this is such an important question. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on this very topic, Um, but what I always start with is this recognition that as women, we are taught to be ashamed of our bodies. We are not born feeling ashamed of our bodies. We are taught to be that. And so it's just so important to put it in that context and recognize you know there are so many different industries built around making women feel self-conscious about our bodies like billions and billions of dollars made off of our backs Um, so I think you know body image issues they can feel so personal but we really need to take that step back and recognize no this is a societal problem this is a global problem Um, and so sometimes if we can kind of get fired up about that and recognize, hey, this is our sisters, our friends, our mothers, our children, you know, that are being affected by this too, like sometimes that can really, really help. So, you know, I think the similarly to what I was talking about a minute ago is you know we have to start with working on our relationships with our own body first. Um, so a lot of us, you know, we spend our days like walking around hating our bodies, thinking all these cruel negative thoughts about ourselves all day, and then we expect that we should be able to go into the bedroom and just be like perfectly relaxed and confident and sexy and present and connected and all of that. but it just doesn't work that way. so I think, you know, working on our relationships with our bodies outside of the bedroom is a great starting place. Um, So obviously there are tons and tons of things that you can do to develop better body image. Um, Things like practicing gratitude for your body, taking really great care of your body, um, not paying attention to the media that makes you feel bad about your body. Um, And it's a really personal process of, of trying a lot of different things and seeing what works for you. And it also changes a lot, you know, throughout the course of your life. So one thing that's working really well for me right now that I've been doing is I've really been thinking about myself as being my body's best friend. Um, And I'm I actually am. Like talking to her. I'm referring to her as a her. <laughs> and I'm really thinking about her like as my best friend. And what would I do to take care of her if she truly was my best friend? How would I talk to her? How would I treat her? Um, and so for me, it's it's turned into like kind of having an ongoing conversation with my body throughout the day, like checking in with her, seeing how she's doing, what she needing, giving her compliments, really changing the way that I talk to her. Um, And so, you know, that might be something that could be really interesting for your listeners to try out as well, see if that resonates and and lands with you. And then, you know, one specific tool that I can give for trying to decrease self-consciousness in the bedroom is to try to focus instead on the pleasure that your body is capable of feeling. So the amazing thing about our bodies is that how our bodies look has no relation to the pleasure that our bodies are capable of feeling. So you do not need to lose 20 pounds or have firmer skin or less acne or get rid of your psoriasis in order to feel pleasure in the bedroom. Like You can feel pleasure in the bedroom tonight. It's just a choice that you have to make. So if you can, you know, if you can, yeah, make that effort to tune into your body and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm self-conscious about the way that my thighs look, but what does it feel like to have my partner's fingertips, like gliding over my thighs? You know, what is that sensation that you're actually feeling? Um, that can be such a great way to silence some of the negative thoughts that you might be feeling in the moment.
1: Vanessa, I love that you said that. And I know that every partnership is different, but I know with my husband, he does not know if I've gained five pounds. Like, that is just something that goes on in my own mind. And it's just <laughs> something you have to get over yourself. Like, all he sees is, oh, this is about to get fun. Like, that's the only part that yeah. he really cares about. It you-
0: really is. And I, yeah, I think so many women, we don't allow ourselves to internalize that, you know, that our partners, See our bodies so differently from how we see them. Um, and so sometimes the, the comparison that I like to make with women is, you know, it's like your partner is trying to give you a gift. Like they're trying to give you this compliment, trying to show you the way that they see your body, all the beauty and the sexiness and, and everything that they see. Um, and so can you allow yourself to receive that gift rather than like taking the gift and shoving it back into their arms? Like, can you allow yourself to take it in? Because, it, you know, we really are our harshest critics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And when you were bringing up about the best friend and talking to yourself like a best friend, we all go through different seasons. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm about five months pregnant. So my body does not look like it normally does. And I know that I'm about to head into a postpartum period, which adds so many more variables just with kind of coming down in weight and just Boobs leaking, everything, <laughs> everything. Like you don't feel very sexy. Put it that way. There's a, a space between when you're not actually having sex, you're trying to get back into it. So let's talk through this a little bit more. In episode 19, we did touch briefly on the subject with Crystal from Expecting and Empowered. But starting from the beginning, Vanessa, what tips do you have for easing back into sex after someone has a baby?
0: So the first thing is that I think it's really important to have a conversation with your doctor and with your partner about what your game plan is. So I work with so many couples who just never communicate about sex with their partners or their doctors. Um, And then, you know, the partner sort of has this timeline in mind of when things are going to go back to normal. And there's this expectation of, oh, okay, it's been, you know, X amount of weeks. Now we're back in the saddle and ready to go for it. Um, When the, you know, the reality is, is, it's just so individual for so many different women, you know, depending on what you've gone through with your birth. Um, And I also think it's absolutely crazy that doctors are not, you know, more um, taking the initiative to talk to their patients about sex because having sex after a baby is a really big deal. So if you can have this conversation with your doctor, with your partner there, you know, really talk through what should you expect. So that way it, it feels like it's coming from this objective third party. It's from a doctor, you know, it can really kind of lighten the tone between your, you and your partner. And again, it just sets this expectation that it's not that we passed this magic date and now everything's back to normal exactly the way that it was before. It's gonna be a process. Um, so it's really important you know, for, for each woman individually to be so patient with herself and kind to herself. Um, because you know we have these societal expectations that after giving birth, like women are just supposed to snap back like, physically, uh, you know, mentally, emotionally, like that we're just supposed to go back to normal so, so, so quickly. And I think so many women really internalize that pressure and try to push themselves to make everything go back to normal as quickly as possible. And then the reality is, you know, this is a completely new normal that you're living. You're not going to go back to exactly how everything was before having a baby. Having a baby is just too big of a change for that to happen. Um, So really giving yourself that permission, that grace, that space To be able to kind of ease back into things and not to set the expectation that it's going to be exactly the way that it was before so you might notice there you know you have different levels of sensitivity in different parts of your body you might be having issues with um you know lubrication your desire might feel a little bit different what worked for you beforehand might not be working for you right now so it's really easy to get frustrated or feel dejected but instead it's an it really can be this opportunity to say okay Can I try to be open and curious and see what my body is needing and wanting now?
2: Amen, amen, amen. After our first baby, Max, I know that for me, I had fear the first time that we were going to have sex again. And something that really, really helped with that was communicating with Drew. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you guys, it's not going to look like pre-kid sex, right? You're going to have to take it slower and there's going to have to be this communication of is everything feeling okay? Like we took it really slow. He checked in on me so many times. So just to just to say lower your expectation as you re-enter and just give yourself the grace, the space and the openness with your partner to really let them know how it's feeling for you.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really important too, to think of sex as something that you guys are doing together. So yes, it's your body that's gone through all of these changes, but it's not like it's your fault or your responsibility to make everything go back to normal as quickly as possible. Instead, it's like, you know, the two of us as a team, how do we communicate? How do we figure out what we need together to make both of us feel good? So if you really can kind of take that wider approach to it rather than feeling like it's all on you, I think that can make a big difference too,
2: right? And another question that we got right along with this topic is that the women they they want to feel like they want to have sex again. How do they get back there? I think that there's so many things at play after you have a baby. You have the hormones, the stress, the lack of sleep. Is there any guidance, Vanessa, that you could give? for them desiring to have sex again.
0: Yeah, you know, Amy. I mean, this is why I love your Instagram account and how you know openly and honestly you talk about the challenges of motherhood and and you know all this pressure that so many women feel to do it all and to be everything. Um, I think you know once women start having kids, yeah, there's this intense pressure to be the perfect mom, the perfect wife. You know, have everything, do everything, be superwoman. And what it leads to is just feeling completely exhausted and depleted at the end of the day to the point where you don't have anything left to give and you don't want to give anything else. Like You just feel so disconnected from yourself because you've been taking care of everyone else and doing everything else. So I really think that you know, yeah, there are practical steps that you can do to like get more in touch with your sex drive, some of the exercises that we were talking earlier. But it's also really this opportunity to re-examine, like, what are the pressures that we put on women and on mothers in particular? Um, and to take a look at, you know, are those things working for me? Are those expectations, you know, are they creating the kind of life that I actually want to have that make me feel vibrant and filled up and excited? Um, you know, or, Is it maybe that we need to take some of that pressure off of ourselves to be so perfect all the time so we can leave a little bit of energy for ourselves to actually feel like ourselves?
1: But Vanessa, let's go into that a little bit further because I think a lot of women, you're exactly right. Like they want to feel like themselves again, but they just can't because they've been touched all day. Like they're Uh feeling touched out. We hear this over and over and over again of I've had kids on me all day. I just don't want someone else touching me. And I think that one woman really spoke for so many women when she said, after mommy and all day, sometimes I cringe when my husband tries to touch me. Tell me that's normal.
0: Yes, that is totally normal That's an experience that so many women can relate to. I guarantee you there are so many women nodding their heads along right now listening to this. <laughs> Um, It's super common that, you know, you can, to feel touched out Um, because when you're a mom and especially a mom to young kids, like your body is not your own. I mean, your body is literally, you know, keeping another human being alive. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's so important to recognize that, yeah, it's very, very common to feel this sense of uh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm touched out. I just want my body back to myself. So the practical thing that you can do here is you need to have some alone time where you can be just on your own, where you can close the door, close your eyes, not have anyone touching you needing anything from you at all. Um, so I really recommend that women make an effort to do this for at least five to 10 minutes a day. And I know life can get crazy again, especially if you have young kids, but five to 10 minutes a day should be doable. And it's really important to enlist the help of your partner here. Um, so if you have, even that little, little, little bit of time to just recharge, to be on your own again, um, that can make such a big difference. Just sort of reset things, help you feel just more in your own skin again. Um, If you have a little bit more time and a little bit more energy, Doing something with your body that feels good for you. So, whether that's maybe some movement, a little bit of yoga or stretching, uh, going on a walk around the block, dancing by yourself, you know, whatever it is, but just some way to remind yourself of like, this is my body. I'm coming back home into my body right now.
2: I know for Drew and I, after we've had our kids for a while, on the weekend, like nap time sex really worked the best for us Mm -hmm. and him putting the boys down for their naps Mm -hmm. was like my reprieve where I had time in our bedroom by myself, you know, maybe I took a shower, whatever, but it was kind of that also anticipation of knowing that that was our goal at that time. Um, That was really, that's really, really been helpful for us.
0: Yeah, and that's also a great way to loop back around to this responsive sex drive type that we were talking about. So, if you feel like, yeah, I I think I'm a responsive type, you know, if you have that time alone, that's your opportunity to start connecting with your body. You know, maybe it's taking a bath, maybe it's masturbating, maybe it's like reading a sexy novel or watching a little sex scene, you know, on a TV show or something like that. But it gives you that opportunity to kind of tap in with yourself and get your sex drive start going.
2: You guys would be surprised at how much your partner can get done in the house or with the kids when he knows that that's the goal <laughs> to get to. I'm, so I'm being true. serious. And so like, it's true.
1: Yeah. It just,
2: it's, a, it's a favor to both of us. Like, we're just, it makes it more exciting. And I don't know, it's just been a really nice thing for us.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I mean, I think it, you know there's that that quote like you know you can't love somebody else until you love yourself first, um and that's true when it comes to sex stuff as well, like it's really important for us to know ourselves as sexual beings in order to be able to connect with another person and share that with them, um, yeah, and Amy, what you were saying about that is is so true as well, and I think that You know, that anticipation piece is such an important thing to talk about as well, again, because so many people expect that sex should just be spontaneous, like it just magically happens in that moment, in that instant. But in actuality, it can be really fun sometimes to create that anticipation to like let it build and build and build. And that can really get a lot of us going.
2: Oh, which leads right into our next question, because another thing <laughs> that a lot of people wanted to know is, is scheduled sex a good or bad thing? As another woman said, my husband won't have spontaneous sex. Can you speak to those things, Vanessa?
0: Okay, so I love scheduled sex. Okay. I think it is such a great tool to use. And I know a lot of people don't like the idea of it. And I will be totally honest too. Like a few years back when I first started, you know, seeing people talking about scheduled sex more often, I thought it was a terrible idea too. And I had sort of all these, you know, same ideas going through my head of, oh man, your sex life must really be terrible if you you get to the point where you have to schedule it. And I think, you know, so we're really, again, we're taught to believe that sex is supposed to be like wildly spontaneous, that you're supposed to just, you know, in magically in this instant, like feel this desire and you can't contain it. And you look over at your partner and they have that desire and they can't contain it. And you magically in that moment have the time and the space and the privacy and the energy (laughs) and the desire to like go have sex and you just do it in that instant. Um, but the reality is <laughs> most of us do not lead lives where that realistically happens very often. You know, most of us have lives that are really full and busy and very scheduled. And the interesting thing about scheduling is that you know, most of us see scheduling as a way of of getting our priorities in order. So, you know, let's say your kid has a soccer game that you really want to go to, like, you're going to put that in your calendar. You're going to make sure you don't do anything else at that time. You protect that time. And you sort of see that as your way for, as your way of showing up for your kid and supporting your kid. And and it even comes up, it's interesting to compare it to with like date nights. Like if your partner tells you, hey, I have a date night planned for us on Saturday night. Like You're gonna get all excited, like, oh my God, he thought about that, he planned it, you know, he's got this whole thing that he's gonna surprise me with, you know, that feels exciting. And so I think, you know, if we view scheduling and planning as this good thing in so many other areas of our lives, Why should it be any different when it comes to sex? So I think you know people get really hung up on the word scheduling because it sounds kind of clinical or kind of cold. But I like to think about it instead as like planning for sex. Or you know, my husband Xander and I like we schedule sex in our relationship, and we just call it like sexy date night. So it feels like something that we can anticipate because we know it's coming. We know when it's going to happen. We get to like spend a little bit of time, you know, thinking about it and getting excited for it, and just changing the language, like even, you know, those few words, rather than saying scheduling sex, it makes it feel, you know, much more exciting for both of us. So yeah, you kind of sold me there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, yeah, I think it's just such a great tool to use, um, you know, for, for couples these days, because again, yeah, life is busy and we, we schedule and we prioritize the things that are important to us. And I really think that sex should not be any different.
1: Vanessa, you're speaking to type A personalities everywhere right now, me included.
0: (laughs) I Um, am too. And, you know, there's like, it's interesting because there can be like a fun sort of satisfaction of knowing, okay, checked sexy date night off my list today. Totally. And and that's fun. You know, whatever it is that gets you like excited and gets you going and, you know, like whatever works for you, that's great. So I totally feel that as well.
1: (laughs) Well, and I know for myself, for so many women, like I feel sexier if, I am wearing the good underwear if I have shaved that day. And you can't do that one minute beforehand. I mean, you're just, it's not going to be very mood boosting. So if you can think about that the entire day or the entire afternoon, whenever it is, like that just makes it so much better.
0: Uh, Yeah. I really think spontaneity is overrated. You know, it's, it's fun to be able to prepare for something and get excited about it. Like, um, and I think that also we're taught that sex should be spontaneous. And I think that that's actually a way of separating us from our sexuality because we're taught to believe like sex just happens. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to make any effort. It's just supposed to happen. And it really distances us from sex. If it's just something that happens rather than us like, taking ownership and responsibility of, I want to have a sex life that feels playful and exciting and energizing. And so here are the things that I'm going to do to make that happen.
1: And Vanessa, honestly, I feel like we could talk to you all day about these and we're definitely going to need a follow-up conversation because this is just too good (laughs) to end today. But let's go into some of the topics that are more taboo for lack of a better term, because these are really important conversations that so many women are going through. And the first one that came up was on pornography and women getting their feelings hurt from their partners, listening to watching whatever it may be to porn. So is this something that most men do? Is it normal? What are your thoughts around pornography?
0: Yeah. Porn is such an interesting topic. So first of all, yes, pretty much every man watches porn. Um, And I do think, you know, I, I think that we have to think about healthy roles that porn can play in our relationships. So for most men, The interesting thing is when I talk to men is they tell me that porn just feels more like something they do when they're bored rather than something that actually feels like actively sexy or exciting. So a lot of women feel jealous about porn thinking, oh, my partner's in the other room and he's looking at all these women with these huge breasts or great butts and stuff like that. And in reality, the guy's just kind of like... I was bored. I wanted to have a quick little session by myself. I'm just doing my thing. Um, So it's really not something that should be, you know, super jealousy inducing for a lot of women because men just don't use it in that way. But at the same time, you know, we do want to make sure that that porn isn't getting in the way of your relationship. So if your partner is, you know, turning you down to go watch porn or they're spending really long periods of time, hold up somewhere, you're watching porn. I mean, that's definitely something that would be useful to talk about with a couples therapist. But in general, you know, if it's, if it's every once in a while, just a couple minutes here and there, it's okay to let yourself feel a little bit self-conscious and worried, but it's definitely not, your man is not having the kind of relationship with porn that you probably think
2: that he is. Mm. Another question we got is what are your thoughts on both parties finishing rather than the male getting off and then the sex ending? As one woman put it, my husband achieves an orgasm every time and I'm left like, wait, what about me?
0: Oh, such a good question. So female orgasm is one of my specialties. I actually have an online course called Finishing School that teaches women how to orgasm. Um, So I love this question. And I think that this really comes down to socialization. Again, it's like we are taught to believe that women should be able to orgasm from intercourse and that men and women should like Just magically have orgasms at the exact same time, and you know, everyone's happy and done at the same time. But the reality is that female orgasm works very differently than male orgasm, and it's not more complicated or difficult, it's just different. And so the vast majority of women will not orgasm from intercourse. It's just not the way that our bodies are wired. We need to have clitoral stimulation in order to reach orgasm, and intercourse in general does a pretty bad job of creating clitoral stimulation. So I think it's super important for couples to be able to have conversations where they, you know, share that information, get on the same page, because most people don't realize this at all. Um, and then, you know, actively work to make sure that both partners are getting what they need to feel satisfied and fulfilled. Um, so yeah, it should not be the case where it's just the guy is able to have his fun and the ladies left like, uh, hello, what happened for me? Like both partners deserve to have orgasms whenever they want them.
2: I totally agree. I mean, I'm not just there for his pleasure. Mm -hmm.
1: Also, I don't know if every woman knows that. Like when you just said that, Vanessa, I didn't know that most women – Mm-hmm. don't orgasm from just penetration. Like I thought that I was like in the the minute few. So when you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's more women yeah. just like me. The majority of oh, yeah. like me.
0: The majority, 70 to 80% of women. And 70. it's interesting mm-hmm, because even those 20 to 30% of women who can orgasm from penetration, so they don't always do it from penetration. And the reality is that very often they're getting clitoral stimulation in some sort of indirect way, but they just don't realize it. So maybe like your body is rubbing up against your partners in whatever position you're in and it's creating that clitoral stimulation. Um, so all female orgasm really traces back to the clitoris. And it's just so important for women to recognize. That's why I have this whole course. I could talk to you guys for another hour about this just going on and on. But the really interesting thing is our so our vaginas, which is, you know, that's where penetration is happening they do not have very many nerve endings and think about like childbirth. So how painful and difficult is childbirth already? Think about how much worse it would be if we had like 10 times mm-hmm. the nerve endings there. Mm-hmm. So we just do not have very many nerve endings there. So what I like to say is expecting a woman to have an intercourse, like from a nerve ending standpoint, expecting a woman to have an orgasm from intercourse is like expecting a man to have an orgasm from having his knee rubbed. And we could even be, better <laughs> <Okay. technology. laughs> and let's say it's like getting his testicles rubbed, you know, but like still it's like, where do, do you ever see like, where's the Maxim magazine? That's like, you know, your testicle orgasm or like, you know, making you feel bad if you don't know how to have your testicle orgasm. So it's just, it's really, you know, it's funny to think about it in that context, but that really is what we're expecting of women when we set this expectation that we're supposed to orgasm from penetration.
2: A follow-up question to that, because I know my sister has covered this on Expecting and Empowered. Are there certain positions that do help you possibly achieve the clitoral stimulation from penetration?
0: Yeah, definitely. The best one is woman on top, Um, because that way you get to control the angle of your bodies. You can bend over. And so you're pressing more against like his lower abdomen area. Um, So that's a great one for creating more of that stimulation. You can also just reach down with your hand and touch your clitoris as you guys are having sex, or he can touch your clitoris as you guys are having sex. It's really easy in that position. But in general, you know, the goal here is just creating more clitoral stimulation. So whether that's your bodies rubbing up against each other whether you touching it, him touching it, using a toy on it. Um, But there are, yeah, lots of other positions too where you can squeeze a little hand down in,
1: in between. And how do you help? So much of the conversation today, Vanessa, has been about communication. So how do you have that conversation with your partner to be specific but also kind? So I know one woman wrote in, how do I coach my partner to give me an orgasm, especially since so much of the world doesn't know that clitoral stimulation is what's necessary?
0: Yeah. So I think first it might be, it might feel a little bit easier just to open up a more general conversation about female orgasm. So you could even re-listen to this podcast with your partner and say, you know, I listened to this podcast today. I had no idea about this stuff. I want you to listen to it with me. Um, So they get a chance to learn too. Um, I also have tons of orgasm resources on my website. If you want to go over there and the same sort of thing, like, whoa, look at what I just learned. I had no idea any of this existed. So that way it just feels easier for you because you're not even giving instructions or directions or anything yet. You're just opening up a more general conversation and it's easier on your partner too, because you're, you're sharing it with them in this context of, I didn't know this. So it's totally okay for them to say, Oh, I didn't know that either. Right. It's like not shaming or embarrassing. Like you've been doing this wrong the whole time type of thing. So it just makes the you know, both of you feel like you're on the same page, you're in the same boat together. Um, then from there, it's really important to learn how to have an orgasm on your own first before you can coach your partner how to get you there. So most women that I work with are like, no, 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 just give me the secrets to how to get there with my partner. I just want to skip right to that. But again, it's, it's kind of going back to that same, like, you got to love yourself first before you love someone else, quote. Like, you need to learn what makes your body work first before you can share that with a partner. Um, so, you know, being able to do some exploration, maybe check out finishing school if you feel interested in it. Um, but learning, you know, what your body responds to best. And then that way you're just going to feel so much more confident when you share that with your partner, because you'll be able to say like, yeah, I figured out that I like really slow, gentle touch, or I like really firm pressure. Um, you know, so you'll just feel, it'll feel much easier to be able to share that kind of feedback with your partner.
1: And none of this mm. is dirty. Like I think so much of right. our background, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. People just think of it as being naughty or that we shouldn't be touching ourselves. So those are the conversations that we, especially as women here all growing up and it just sticks with us. So you mm. saying that right now, women go out there, explore yourself. It's not only going to help you, but it's going to help your relationship. So those are two very important things, especially in a marriage or in a committed partnership.
2: Yeah,
0: it's, it's so true. You know, as women, we're, we're taught to believe that masturbation is this dirty word, but we don't have that same sort of bias for men. You know, we, who would ever like get on a man's case for masturbating? Like we just think masturbation is so normal for men. And I think that's just un- incredibly unfair um, because the reality is we all deserve to have a healthy and loving and joyful relationship with our own bodies. And I know, you know, that so many women who struggle with orgasm, again, like feel super alone, feel broken, feel like they're the only ones struggling with this. Um, but it's really important to recognize like you just were never given the tools, never given a fair chance to learn about your body. Um, but it's never, ever, ever too late. And truly like learning to explore your own body and figure out what your body likes, learning how to make yourself orgasm is one of the most exciting impacts empowering experiences you will ever get to have. So I highly recommend getting started whenever you can.
2: Vanessa, this has been incredible. I have learned so much. I know our listeners are going to learn so much. We really want to just empower you guys to open up this conversation and you know, to take some of the barriers to entry down. So thank you for doing that, Vanessa. Can you please tell everyone where they can find more of you?
0: Thank you so much for having me. You can probably tell I get so excited talking about this stuff. I could keep going with you guys for like many, many more hours. So I really appreciate the opportunity that you guys gave me to speak with your amazing audience. Um, and I would love to connect with anyone who is feeling, you know, drawn to learn more about this. Um, you can find me on my website at vmtherapy.com. It's my initials, vmtherapy.com. com. Uh, we have tons of free resources that are available there and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We cover a different topic every month and give tons of practical, actionable tips for you to use. And then on social media, I'm most active on Instagram. You can find me at Vanessa Marin Therapy and uh, do like lots of stories there and posts and all of that. So I would love to connect with you guys um, either one of those
2: ways. If you guys enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot and share it in your story tag us at herself and tag Vanessa. And thank you so much for listening.